Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us. Welcome to week four in our mini-series on forgiveness and reconciliation, reconciliation seen through the little letter called Philemon. The feedback, by the way, during the series has been massive. Excitement, sadness, anger, wonder, great conversations in our connect groups. We're really digging in to God's Word together. So let's end this series where we began it. How did this part of Scripture begin? Remember what one said? A slave named Onesimus runs from his owner, Philemon. He runs from Colossae to Rome in hope that he could escape in the large urban environment. And once in Rome, Onesimus, either by accident or by design, we don't know, comes in contact with Paul. Paul leads the runaway slave to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was already planning on writing a letter or two to the church in Colossae. So in 60 or 61 AD, from a prison cell in Rome, Paul writes this personal letter to Philemon, the slave owner, and then sends Onesimus back to Colossae to deliver it. So into that political, religious, social moment of great danger, an unwinnable, nothing in common moment, there is then a radical call for unnatural unity and forgiveness because of and only because of the work of Jesus. Now, let's pause and let me say this again. If you've missed the last three weeks, you've got to go back and listen because this is like a four-week series. It's like Lego. They all connect together. And as you walk, you see God's progression as we get to the idea of forgiveness, let alone reconciliation. But you need to fill in the gaps first. Now, we already know the end goal, Paul's desire, and God's will for the situation. We saw it in verse 8, remember? Therefore, although in Christ I, Paul, could be bold and order you, Philemon, to do what you ought to do. And then we were like, well, what's the thing that you ought to do? Well, we discovered it last week in verse 15 and 16. Remember verse 15? Well, perhaps the reason why Onesimus was separated from, from you for a little while, Philemon, is that you might, might have him back forever. And, and this is not like forever slavery. No, no, no. Hey, Philemon, and, and hey, church in Colossae, this isn't just a fluke. This was not just a, a mistake or an act of rebellion or desperation. We need to see this through God's eyes, through God's will. We all now need to see this through heaven's perspective, not how you both feel or what you did. So hey, Philemon, Philemon, I know your honor was impinged. You were stolen from good chance. Onesimus was not a great worker. And I'm sure Onesimus was saying things like, I just want to be free. I want a better life. I want to make my own choices. I want better food. Or maybe Philemon was a bad master. See, God takes an unwinnable, no common ground moment and invites us to see it through the plan of heaven. So, hey Philemon, you'll ha have him back, Onesimus that is, forever, not as a slave, but as a brother of Jesus and a brother in Jesus. He has eternal life now. You have eternal life now. And the moment will lead to life everywhere. See, now forgiveness and now reconciliation can begin because you both know Jesus, and you both share heaven's view. And all three of us can lead others now to Jesus. Now, remember last week, we arrived at that real moment. This was the theological, social, interpersonal, working out of the kingdom of God down here. This is the seeds of the work of God that would make this house different, the church different, and the world might be different. So Paul says, I've given up my rights and authority, just like Jesus gave up his rights and authority. So Philemon, you're going to give up your rights and authority because you actually want to be like Jesus and you are involved in cross-centered leadership, not Roman 
status leadership, right? Perhaps the reason why Onesimus was separated from you, Philemon, just for a little while, is that you'd have him back forever. No longer as a slave. But better than a slave, a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, Philemon, both as a fellow human and as a brother in the Lord. So you just can't treat him the way you did before. He, he's not the person that ran away. And then remember, inspired by the Spirit, Paul gives four God-viewed definitions of Onesimus. No longer a slave. This is a double-layered statement. It's a salvation statement, then a social statement in that order. This is basically an exact quote from Galatians 4.7. This is talking to all Christians. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. We are no longer slaves to sin and slaves to death and slaves to the demonic. That's true of Onesimus. That's true of Philemon. That's true of Paul. That's true of you if you're a Christian. But also, this is the beginning of the undoing of slavery. It's done in God's eyes. So he's saved. And that is why he's called dear brother, and not just brother, dear brother, family member. And not only that, Paul says, and remember, he's a fellow human being, made in the image of God. He's not property. And lastly, Philemon, and lastly, church in Colossae, I just need to say this. He is your brother in Jesus. He is now part of your family that ripples into eternity. And like I quoted last week, it was Scott McKnight that said, the language here elevates this slave from the margins of the family to the family table. Now conditions have been created in a sibling-shaped relationship rather than a status-shaped community. And like I shared last week, what should blow our minds is that the very family table that the slaves would set and cook the food for would now have to be invited to sit at that exact table because Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper took place during meals. Nothing like, like this on earth existed at this moment. That in itself was radical. Now, now, Sanctus Church, watch the progression because it's going to matter for today. Week one, Paul moves us uh, to see we don't get to choose who's in Jesus. That's God the Father. He calls people. Week two, the ties that bind us together are beyond us. God calls us. Jesus died for us. Jesus physically rose for us. Jesus forgives us. Jesus is praying for us at the right hand of the majesty right now. now. Third, the Holy Spirit is present in every Christian on earth and brings us together. Week three, then and only then, after those two things are real, there's a call to forgive each other because of all that God has done for us in Jesus. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And how do we do that? Well, because Jesus did that for us. Paul, if you remember, has pointed out that both parties must forgive each other for perceived and real offenses because of Jesus. But now Paul takes it one step further. He moves us from forgiveness to personal reconciliation. Verse 17. So if you, Philemon, consider me, Paul, a partner, you welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. The word partner is where we get our word fellowship from. If you grew up in church, fellowship hall, right? It's where we get the word church from. Now, again, let's remember all the amazing things Paul has stated about Philemon. 
dear friend, fellow worker, fellow pastor or elder, the church meets in this house. He's incredibly wealthy, but he's incredibly generous. He's growing in theological wisdom. He loves so many people so well from such diversity, which was impossible only two or three years earlier, and yet Jesus has changed him. And Paul's saying, look, I know all this is true of you. And so if you consider me a partner, which I know you do, and all of that plus. And since I, Paul, cannot come and be with you because I'm in jail for Jesus right now, right? So here's what I want you to do instead. I want you, Philemon, to think about everything you would do if I suddenly was set free and was at your door today. The food you'd give me, the time, the space, the hospitality, the conversation, whatever you would do for me, your mentor, beloved pastor, one of your best friends, I want you to do this for your runaway slave. Don't treat him the way you think he deserves to be treated, but treat him like you would treat me, the one you love and respect the most. Welcome him. By the way, if you're taking notes, I'd circle that word welcome. It has a great holy history all the way back to Jesus. I mean, what did Jesus say, right? Matthew 10, 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That's the Father. Paul picks up that later in Rome when he's talking about to, writing to the Roman church in Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then. In Greek, it reads, welcome one another then, just as Christ welcomed you in order to be pra bring praise to God. So accept or welcome are the same thing. Take fellow Christians into your hearts and into your homes. Why? Because Christ accepted you. Jesus has welcomed you. Now, reflecting on this command, listen to what one person wrote about the Roman passage, but man, it helps us today. How did Christ accept you? How did Christ accept me? He accepted us with our many sins and prejudices and innumerable blind spots. He accepted us with our psychological shortcomings, our cultural naiveties. He even accepted us with all of our provincialisms. He even accepted us in all of our stubbornness. This is how we are to accept one another. Oh my goodness. This is how we're supposed to accept one another with all that stuff? Yes. This is church. This is real church. That's not saying that stuff doesn't need to get worked out, but that's the starting point. This is how being united in Jesus works. And this is the grounding. This is the impact. This is the implications of the gospel. So then Paul goes way beyond forgiveness. Verse 18, if Onesimus has done any wrong or owes you anything, Philemon, you're going to charge it to me. See, Paul understood something. Forgiveness and repentance don't equal restitution, let alone reconciliation. What Paul is bringing up is not a false claim. Something wrong probably had been done. Did Onesimus steal from Philemon to run away? Or did, did he actually just lose money because he didn't do his job, whatever that was? Or did he do something so bad that is actually why he fled for his life? Well, we don't know. But here's what Paul says to Philemon. Hey, listen, here's my I-O-U. I'm going to cover all the costs. By the way, could I ask the whole church to lean in, please? Paul says, I'm going to cover all the costs so you cannot use anything especially a real offense or non-restitution not to reconcile with your new brother in Jesus. Acrimony must be replaced by unity. Let me say this again. I'm going to cover all the costs so you cannot use anything, especially real offense or non-restitution, not to reconcile with your new brother in Jesus. 
acrimony has to be replaced by unity. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand, and I will pay it back, not to mention Philemon, you owe me your very self. This is probably one of four times in the whole New Testament where Paul says, hey, listen, it's me personally writing this, and I'm going to pay you back for real, even though I have nothing to do with this, and I didn't do it. Reconciliation, sit with this, (laughs) reconciliation, not just forgiveness, is so important, Paul is willing to pay the cost for someone else's law-breaking. Um, sound familiar, anyone? Oh, oh, right, Jesus. Jesus, who is innocent, takes on other people's mistakes, our mistakes, our sins, to make sure we can be reconciled to the Father. The third party brings the other parties together. It always takes someone from the outside, but in this case, the third party also takes the bullet, pays off the debt, so reconciliation can actually take place. But Paul's the master at setups, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, Paul says, Oh, while we're on the subject about, you know, debts and owing and all of that, can, can I just point something out to you, Philemon? Uh, I understand you're very wealthy and very successful, and you've got public position both in the church and outside of the church, and you have influence, and you've done an amazing job, but you owe me something, right? Just, I need to remind you of this. Uh, um, you owe me something much more valuable, something much more long-lasting, uh, because I'm pretty sure, oh, let me think, oh, right, it was me, Paul. I-, I preached to you, and I gave up my life for you so you could know Jesus. Right, Philemon? Wink, wink. Let's not forget, let's just pause here. Let's not forget Paul's own journey. And how Jesus changed him over 20 years. Paul's a Jew, not just a Jew, an Orthodox Jew. Not just an Orthodox Jew, he's a Pharisee and a world-class thinker. And 20 years earlier, he thought that the full expression of salvation could only come to Jews. He prayed every day, thanking God he was not born a non-Jew. He would have called non-Jews dogs. He was at the killing of the very first Christian. He was hunting Christians down because he thought our movement was an aberration and a cult within the Jewish community. And now, 20 years later, he is paying and pleading for a non-Jewish slave to be reconciled to a Roman master, all done in the name of the Jewish Messiah. What? Paul's whole life in Jesus is nothing but revolution and the fulfillment of why God elected the Jewish people in the first place so the rest of the world could know there was a God and know a way home. Paul says to Philemon, just so you know, without me, you'd be lost in your sins, and without me, you'd still going to die and have no hope of physical resurrection, and you know, without me, you'd be positionally owned by the evil one. So Philemon, look, I, Paul, gave up everything for you to know Jesus, So you're going to give up everything to make sure Onesimus walks with Jesus, right? I mean, I've modeled it. Jesus has modeled it. Now it's your turn, right, Philemon? Right? Oh, I do wish, verse 20, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Messiah, in Jesus. Now again, did you notice it? Uh, I may have some benefit from you. See, this this is the brilliance of Paul. Uh, Onesimus, like we learned last week, his name means benefit. So Paul is again using his own name as a redeeming moment, that the slave name is actually now becoming something so so much more profound. And he's reminding Philemon of his spiritual gift of encouragement, which we discovered. And he's like, just do it. And remember, he says, would you refresh me? And this is critical. Remember, we learned this um, a few weeks ago, I think it was verse 7. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother Philemon, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
And I said in English, right, the word refresh here, it feels a little limp, a little weak. But in Greek, it's a military term. When an army had a forced march over a long period of time and, and they came to the end of that forced march and they were smelly and hungry and needed to bathe and eat and, and laugh together, those people who provided the refreshment, that's what this means. And he's saying, Philemon, you have one of the strongest spiritual gifts of encouragement I have ever seen. You're just like Barnabas in another context. So I want you to use your spiritual gift of encouragement to help me and help your church and to help your new brother Onesimus. I want you to show the world how things are different. And then he says in verse 21, confident of your obedience. Ooh, set up. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Now, this is where Paul finally brings his authority to bear. And this is where I would say reconciliation is on the table. And we're also starting to see his freedom come into view. Now, again, what is the, the more? Well, verse 16, no longer a slave, better than a slave, a dear brother. Now, I want to sit here and I'm going to read something from one scholar that, again, is going to make us uncomfortable, but it's still, it's helping us navigate this difficult thing. Paul, he says, only hopes that Philemon will do more, but everything now is in Philemon's court. And manumission, setting him free as a free person, could be one choice Philemon could make. But that's not Paul's ultimate desire. Nor should we elevate, in this context, Onesimus' full freedom to the highest level of moral insight in order to understand the Apostle Paul in his context. He wants Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, to forgive him, restore him, and be reconciled. Then, because Philemon has the keys to open the door for Onesimus to return to Paul for ministry. This letter is an exercise in shifting the responsibility to Philemon. We should speak here of church liberation rather than slave liberation. Now, the more might be in the latter two terms. It could be implied, but if Paul wanted to be direct about it, he would have been direct about it, and he wasn't. So again, let me bring this home. What Paul is doing is he's saying to Philemon, how far do you want the good news to take root? I'm literally putting it in your court. And you know what God's will is, and you know what I want you to do. I want you not only to consider my brother in Christ, I want you to set him free. Are you going to take the kingdom to your root? Paul says in verse 22, hey, 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 one more thing. Would you prepare a guest room for me? Because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And, and Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greeting. Now, this, this sounds like a, hey, listen, buddy beside me saying what's up to, and he says hi. No, 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 no. This is crucial to the conversation. This is brilliant setup. Who is Epaphras? Well, we know he's a pagan convert from Christianity. His name is short form from someone who had been named after Aphrodite, the pagan goddess. Later, we find out in church history, he actually became the bishop of the churches in Colossae and is murdered for being a Christian. But we first discover him in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1.7. You learn this from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Or, or Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, uh, who, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He always is wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So this guy is one of the founding evangelists and pastors in the church of Colossae. He is a prisoner with Paul at this moment. 
So this leader comes from Colossae, is a leader already in this local church, most likely actually helped lead or attended or was involved in the church that met in Philemon's home. So as one of the pastors and leaders, he's in agreement with Paul about how Onesimus should be treated and reconciled with. So this even brings more force to the table. And then he says, oh, by the way, there are a few other people, you know, Mark and Aristarchus and Demius and Luke, Demas and Luke uh, uh, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord, Christ be with your spirit. Oh, Mark, that's John Mark who writes the Gospel of Mark. There's Luke there who, oh, book of Acts, book of the Gospel of Luke, just a few other things. But he says, look, at the end of the day, all these people say hi. They are all in agreement with me too. Just want to say, so, you know, but actually the grace the undeserved mercy of King Jesus, the Messiah, to you all. Why does he end here? Because the very last verse points out that we all have in Jesus undeserved mercy, and the undeserved mercy is the foundation for forgiveness, unity, let alone reconciliation. Now, I hope some of you have been asking this question, well, what ever happened to Onesimus? Well, church history tells us that most likely he becomes the second bishop of Ephesus. Now, I want you to feel the power of this, the excitement of this, that Onesimus, a runaway slave, becomes the head pastor of the churches down the street in Ephesus. This is, by the way, where John himself would have gone to church. That's St. John. And this is incredible because the love of Paul and the love of Philemon and the power of the gospel works so deeply that Onesimus becomes more responsible and has more spiritual authority than Philemon, his former master and elder. Now, I want us to pause, whether you go to Sanctus Church or not, and I want you to see the progress again, the progression. Week one, we don't get to choose who's our brother and sister in Jesus. God decides that. Week two, the ties that bind us together are beyond us. God calls us, Jesus saves us, forgives us, prays for us, and the Holy Spirit is present and builds a unity. We also have a common Lord in Jesus, and we also have a common authority in the Scriptures. After that is clear, then Paul moved us and moved Philemon and Onesimus to why and how to forgive. But the last step is reconciliation. Now, let me just stop and do a recap of what Christian forgiveness is. Remember, we learned last week, because you, because we have sinned so terribly before a holy God and Jesus has forgiven you, we now must forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Remember, forgiveness is not forgetting and it's not a lack of justice. You can forgive someone and they go to jail. You can forgive someone and you're not reconciled with them. Yes, we're all sinners, but there are still consequences depending on the style and type of sin. But forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a crisis of the will. It's giving up your rights to hurt people back. And like I shared last week, the best definition I found, forgiveness is assuming personal responsibility for the emotional pain and consequences of another person's sin. Forgiveness is assuming personal responsibility for the emotional pain and consequences of another person's sin in your life. Is it natural? No. Will it take time? Yep. Must, be we, must we be willing? Yes. Is forgiving radical? Absolutely. It is the most Jesus-like thing you will ever do. Now, let me say what I said last week on a side note. This is not saying if a crime has been committed, there cannot be justice. Someone can be dealt with by the law and forgiven at the same time. What you know as a Christian, if you are one though, 
is that the difference is forgiveness is more powerful than revenge. You have been forgiven so much and you know that God knows everything. So if that person who's done that wicked thing or small thing against you becomes a Christian, Jesus extends forgiveness to them. And if they don't become a Christian on judgment day, they will face God without the covering of Jesus and they will be responsible for that sin. In the end, justice will be done. Either that terrible thing that was done to you is placed on the body of Jesus and Jesus took the bullet, the wrath of God was poured out on him. He literally had to become the innocent one who actually takes the sin of that person on him and justice is there or on judgment day. That is why it's possible to begin to work towards no record of wrongs. Forgiveness is not optional, but reconciliation is different. See, sometimes you can't reconcile with someone because they're dead. Sometimes you can't reconcile with someone because they're dangerous. They literally would hurt you or destroy you. Sometimes you can't reconcile with someone because they're unwilling. That's why we can't make forgiveness reconciliation. As Paul wrote brilliantly in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But what we need to ask at the end of the series is, but wonder if reconciliation was possible for you. So you've got confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Let's just remind ourselves, they're incremental and they're nonlinear. They, ups and downs. But if forgiveness, if the forgiveness process has begun, then how do we, if possible, get to be like Onesimus and Philemon, together in Jesus, reconcile on the ground because we've been reconciled to God the Father through Jesus? Well, first, notice here, Paul is a third party speaking strongly into both parties, which much of the time is needed when trying to access this rarely accessible holy ground. But let's see the whole process through. Beyond seeing the other through Jesus's work and beginning the process to forgive, there are two other steps. And one of them is making amends if needed. Now, amazingly, Paul says, I am going to cover the restitution so reconciliation can happen. Now, I love it's the prison fellowship who deals basically with restoring people who are in jails with their victims and also many other things. And they talk about this. And here's how they mention it. They say, what does it mean to make amends? The act of making amends consists of an attempt to pay back or remedy in some form for the loss or harm of resulting from wrongdoing. When an offender takes takes uh, tries to make amends, he or she is showing a willingness to take responsibility for the offense and manifest the sincerity of his or her confession and repentance for it. Restitution is one way of making amends. Other ways can include personal service to the victim or community service. In whatever way, an offender seeks to give something back in order to make up to the extent possible for the victim's loss or harm. For some victims, an offender's deep, sincere, humble confession and apology is an important way to make amends. Amends does not make harm disappear, yet it does acknowledge the offender has a debt to the victim and community and is trying to seek to pay that debt back. In this way, the offender's efforts to make amends can play a vital role in repairing harm, restoring a material or non-material loss, and contributing to possible reconciliation with the victim. After that takes place, then the fourth step is reconciliation. It's the culmination of everything we've talked about in this series. And I love their definition. Reconciliation involves the restoration of harmony 
trust, and peace between people in conflict. Reconciliation involves restoration of harmony, uh, of trust, and peace between people in conflict. Now, before I'm going to bring this home to you, to my story, and to our church, I need to speak to this cultural moment. In this racially charged, politically frayed, on-the-edge moment, the call for reconciliation and forgiveness and restitution and amends are everywhere, on the streets, online, everywhere. But we have a problem, and I must be blunt. (laughs) Our culture is thoroughly a post-Christian culture, and it wants the fruits of Christianity without Christianity. Everything that we've just talked about, forgiveness, reconciliation, restitution, amends, all these are rooted in the Judeo-Christian worldview. See, this, this is what's so important. Our culture wants the fruits of something they've rejected. When, when we have a common Savior and a common Lord Jesus, when we actually have the Holy Spirit in us to empower us to do the impossible, when there is unity that is deeper than nation, tribe, skin color, when we have a common script and authority in the Bible, then this is truly possible. But our culture, and we see this in the last 12 months, our culture is demanding the fruit of Christianity, but it severed the root from the tree and making this nearly impossible. Like human rights, by the way, study any historian worth worth their salt, and they will tell you human rights is a direct result from Christianity being established in the West. Secular historians will tell you this. The idea of human rights is a product of Christianity. But the problem now is our culture has rejected Christianity, so there is now no common definition. There is no common ethic, no common ground floor. There's no gas in the car. There's no charge in the battery. There's no common understanding of what is right and wrong because Jesus has been rejected and the scriptures either have been reduced to a series of tweets that suit my political view, but when you read the whole canon of scripture, it's rejected by culture. Why am I saying this? Because we need to understand that our culture is asking and crying out for right things, but they don't want the person and the power that allows the things to take place. So we should not expect (laughs) that what our culture is crying out for is going to have effect because they're crying out for the fruit without the person who does, does it in the first place. Pope Benedict at the United Nations predicted this very thing in the early 2000s, where he said, as the West continually becomes more secularized and more sexual, human rights have lost their grounding and losing their grounding, it will just become a group of shrill voices screaming at each other and not knowing why. But for us, for us as Christians who who have a common Lord and a common spirit, it is possible. So the question is, What do we do with this? Well, let me just end this series with three simple questions. One, is true and deep reconciliation possible if responsibility, confession, repentance, and forgiveness and amends have begun? Do you even think it's possible? Number two, think about conflicts in your own life. Have you hurt someone? Has someone hurt you? What steps could you begin to actually begin the process of reconciliation. Here's a third one that's really important. What miracles could come from the impossible becoming possible? I mean, remember Philemon ends up 
I would say probably letting Onesimus go. Uh, Onesimus ends up becoming a bishop in Ephesus and leads many and pastors many. Like, what would the kingdom results be in your life, in your family, in our church, if actually you moved not only from unity to forgiveness, but forgiveness to reconciliation? Uh, let me just end by saying, I, I know that this is bringing up a lot. And the purpose of this series is not just to wrap everything in a nice bow and then we're done. No, no. This is to give you the biblical pattern to begin the thing you do over a lifetime. So here's our simple prayer. Thank you, God, the Father, that you call us and you brought us out of darkness into light. Just like Lazarus, you know, dead in the tomb. And Jesus said, come forth and you called us to life. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jesus. You love us. You died for us. You live for us. You taught us. You've been risen from the dead. You pray for us. You're our hope and our savior. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're in us and you make the impossible possible. So we just pray over these four things in our church. One, thank you for who you, are, who you call and let us be okay with who you call. Number two, let us continually build and you remind us, you gotta do this supernatural thing. May our unity as a church be built on, on the things you've done, God. Three, where there is brokenness, may forgiveness, may the process of forgiveness begin. And number four, we pray for the miracle of reconciliation that it would begin to take deeper root and we would see so much amazing Christian fruit out of this. Lord, the devil doesn't want this. Our flesh doesn't want this. Our culture wants it, but on their own, with their own views and demands. So there's so much pressure against this. And then there's our own fear and our own sin. And so God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ send the Spirit to work this stuff out deeply. We also just pray you'd send Apostle Paul's third amazing parties who are full of wisdom and truth to speak right. Lord, just, just do this beautiful thing. And, and thank you that you prompted us to go through this series. Thank you, God. You knew our church needed to hear this. And we pray there'd be great, again, fruit from this in years to come. In Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Amen.